Hey guys, welcome back to the Love and Relationships Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Faleta, and it's awesome to be together again as usual, talking about love, sex, dating, marriage, and singleness. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a licensed professional counselor and author specializing in relationship issues, and I'm here to take your relationship questions as well as tackle some challenging topics in a candid and practical way. I've written hundreds of relationship articles across the internet and my relationship advice blog, truelovedates.com, reaches millions of people with the message of healthy relationships. And that's really what I am passionate about. So today we are talking about sex. That got your attention, right? And specifically, we're talking about sex and the single life, because I'll tell you guys, that is something that we don't often talk about. And I think in marriage, we can all agree that sex is a good thing. But I think with singles, oftentimes you're struggling and no one's really talking about this topic and how you're supposed to handle it as a single person. Uh, You know, I always say that in Christian circles, we tend to treat sex kind of like a say no to drugs campaign, you know, just don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't even think about it. And then all of a sudden you get into marriage and somehow you're supposed to magically have this respect and desire to do sex the right way. And that's not how it works. You know, I feel like this conversation is missing so much. Um, Recently, I asked a bunch of my single readers to tell me, what has the church taught you about sex? And here's some of the things that they said. Someone said that it's a gift to be celebrated in marriage. That's about it. Another person said, don't do it. Don't speak of it until you're married. Someone else said they learned that sex was a hush-hush topic, or it's taboo to talk about even if you're married and really taboo to talk about if you're single. Someone else said they learned to refrain from sex and seek sainthood if you're single. Someone else said, it's the great big apple God gave us, and then said, don't touch it. And I think so many of you can probably relate to that mentality. I've actually had the unfortunate opportunity of working with a lot of young men and women um, one of which a couple that comes to mind has had been married for years, yet they were still unable to have sex. They were unable to get past the mentality that sex was actually good, you know? And I think a lot of us are struggling with that mentality to, to be able to see sex as good even while we're single, to be able to see that God created sexual desires in us as one way to draw us into a marriage relationship. It's a desire that has been built inside of us by God himself and one that we really need to learn to possess without shame. But that's not something that comes naturally, and it's certainly not something that we're taught to do. Um, we're shamed for having sexual desires. And when I look at the the Bible, there was a lot of shamers back in the day of Scripture. There's a lot of shamers today, too. In First Timothy, there's a passage that says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such 
teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Here's where it gets good. Verse 3, this is 1 Timothy 4. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. In this passage, Paul is writing to remind his people that it's more meaningful to thank God for the pleasures that he gives us than to reject the pleasures that he gives us. And and in that time, there were these people ordering them to abstain from certain foods, ordering them to abstain from marriage instead of receiving those things with thanksgiving. And I think that we can learn from this. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the topic of food and marriage are listed in the same sentence here because they're both good, natural appetites, God-given appetites. And one thing I want to make clear today through this show and this episode, that it's not the appetite that we need to be afraid of or repress. It's how we feed that appetite because how we feed it determines the course of our lives. How are you feeding your sexual appetite and how is that affecting your life? One of my friends has three boys and he told me that when he was teaching his boys about sexuality and sex drive and sexual pleasure, he basically told them this. I'm just going to quote this. He says, learn to thank God for your sexual pleasure, whether it's in a dream or holding hands or a first kiss, whenever. And if you can't thank God for it, don't do it. Your conscience is a poor guide because culture influences your conscience, but gratitude can be used by the Spirit to direct you. I love that. And I think I'm starting this episode with the idea that as singles, the biggest favor you can do for yourselves is to thank God for the sexual desires He's given you because gratitude is always going to put the focus back on Him. So before we get to our caller today talking about sex drive, let me just make it explicitly clear that I really believe that sex is for marriage. And if you've grown up in the church or church culture, you've heard that sentiment before. Um, All over the Bible, there are passages that point us to the reality that God created sex for marriage. 1 Corinthians 6.18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. Hebrews 13.4 is the common one that says, Let marriage be held in honor and the marriage bed undefiled. 1 Corinthians 7.2. And all over Song of Solomon, the, the idea that we should not arouse or awaken love until the right time. So we hear about this a lot, but we don't always understand why. We don't always get a clear answer as to why we should save sex for marriage. I think the bottom line here is trust. And if God truly is who he says he is, he can be trusted. We need to learn to trust him. But if you're anything like me, um, as a psychologist, psychology major as a counselor, I'm constantly looking for the whys of human behavior. And it's really interesting because the truth is science catches up to God's word eventually. 
right? Science catches up to what God has already told us. And scientifically speaking and psychologically speaking, we know that number one, sex is binding. When you are engaging in sexual behavior with someone, your body is releasing actual chemicals, actual neurotransmitters called oxytocin. And this neurochemical that's released in your body is the bonding chemical. Um, It's also released when a a mom is nursing her child. I mean, there are chemicals, they they call them these feel-good chemicals. They give you kind of this high so that you're connected to the person that's you're supposed to bond with. And so these chemicals come out at a very specific time in our life. And one of them is during sex. So sex is binding. Number two, sex is intimate. It's a really intimate thing, but outside of marriage, it can mess with your head because it creates this false intimacy. It feels intimate, but you don't actually have that level of intimacy in your relationship. So it can kind of trump the logic, trump what you know, which is, okay, we're not that committed, but sex makes you feel like you're so committed. You're intimate. It's like the Novocaine of relationships. It numbs you to what's actually going on and makes you feel like you've got something intimate and deep, even before you've established that in your relationship. And in marriage, that's a really good thing because a lot of times you're struggling or you're not seeing eye to eye or you're distant from one another. And sex is that intimate glue that holds you together. It kind of um, binds you and gives you this sense of intimacy. But when you're practicing that outside of a lifelong relationship, it can mess with your head and make you feel like you've got something that you don't actually have. And number three, sex is healing. My favorite analogy about sex outside of marriage is the steam pipe analogy. If you think of a relationship kind of like a steam pipe, there's a lot of pressure in a steam pipe, just like with a relationship. There's a lot of pressure and things that you're working out and trying to figure out and tension sometimes that comes up or conflict that comes up when you're really trying to manage those early stages of a relationship and you're getting to know someone in dating or even in in the time of being engaged. There's a lot of pressure and, and that's how it should be because pressure is what helps take your relationship to the next level. But if your relationship is this steam pipe. If there are any cracks in the relationship, any issues, any problems, there will be a crack in the steam pipe and that's where the steam will be released. So you'll see those problems quickly. You'll be like, oh, there's a crack there. I need to deal with that. I need to fix that. Oh, there's another crack there. You know, like you will notice when things are not working out and figure out what you need to fix. But if you are releasing that pressure in another way, if you're releasing that pressure through sex, kind of like a valve on top of the pipe, if you're releasing pressure, you're never going to see those cracks. Those cracks are never going to show up in the relationship because you're releasing pressure in a different way. You're releasing it through sex and intimacy. And so people go into long-term relationships feeling like everything is great and everything is fine because sex is binding and sex is intimate and sex is healing. 
and they get into the relationship and they realize that their steam pipe had so many cracks that they never even noticed or had a chance to take care of or heal before they got into marriage. And here they are struggling with all of these issues. So for those three reasons, I think it's important to realize that God didn't create boundaries just for the sake of boundaries. He creates them because he wants the best for us. He knows how to do this relationship thing right. And he needs us to trust him with what he says to be good and true. So now that we've kind of laid the framework of this conversation, A, that our sex drive is good and something to be thankful for, and B, the boundaries that God has set for us are good and that He can be trusted. Let's talk a little bit about this thing called sex drive and what to do with it while you're single, when you're feeling all these things, you're struggling. How do you honor God while still dealing with your sex drive. Let me introduce you to today's caller with that very same question. Today we are joined by Josh from Texas. Hey, Josh, welcome to the show. Hi, Deborah. How are you? Good. It's good to have you, Josh. So what's on your mind today? Well, what's on my mind is that... uh, when you are single and uh, the sex drive begins, that's often at a, a rather young age, you mm-hmm. know, say in my case, it was when I was 13 back in 2005. Yep. And the obvious thing about that is uh, marriage is a, a very long ways away. Yeah. You know, uh, most people are getting married in their late 20s or early 30s these days. So you know, you're spending more than half your life in a lot of cases, uh, just simply having to deal with a sex drive with basically nowhere to go. Right. And I think there's a very major instance of just simply being stuck, I guess, or just simply not really knowing what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is definitely something that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, I, I, I receive a lot of hits to the website from this topic and a lot of questions in my inbox about this topic and the underlying idea of what do you do with your sex drive while mm-hmm. you're waiting for marriage? Because like you said, it feels like it's a dead end. There's, there's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. Um, and so how do, you, how do you navigate this in a healthy way? And whether you're listening and you're a male or a female, this is a reality for both genders for both sexes. How do you handle sex drive? Uh, and, and, and there's so many different things that people say about this topic. But one thing I want to start with is to take away the shame that often comes with this conversation. Um, because I think we need to realize that our sex drive is put in place by God. It is given to us by God. And when we can see it that way and we can be grateful for it, as hard as it is sometimes to deal with, when we can be grateful for it, it takes away the shame. I remember in college, I was really struggling with this issue and my mentor um, sat down with me and she's like, well, first and foremost, before we sit here and start confessing your sins and struggles, 
we need to start by thanking God for this drive because this drive is how you were created and it's intended for a purpose and it's got meaning. And one day it will come in handy. Like this is something good and pleasing. And I really took hold of that perspective and it just rocked my world. I was like, you know, here I am feeling shame, feeling guilt, feeling horrible about my sex drive and my sex struggles and and, mm-hmm. and these things that I'm dealing with. And instead of feeling horrible, I should thank God. Like there was something freeing about that conversation. And I think that struggle with sex drive can do one of two things, Josh. One, it can push us away from God because we feel guilt and shame and we want to hide. Or two, yeah. it can draw us near to him because we're thankful that he is a God who created sex and who created a sex drive and who has a plan for it. Whether or not that plan is part of our present life, there's a big picture at play. And we can either allow that to draw us to him or yeah. we can we can find ourselves moving away from him in bitterness, which I think a lot of people kind of struggle with feeling bitter towards God and, and, and their sex drive. How have you felt like this area of your life has been at play with regard to your relationship with God. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you bring that contrast, Deborah, because uh, you know I presume that it was the former version of that of that where you become thankful and you uh, you get closer to God. Unfortunately, uh, my story is more of the latter, yeah. where it becomes a struggle that actually. Uh, created distance for me. Yeah. And you're not alone there. You are absolutely not alone there because that's usually our first response is like, well, God must feel horrible about me or he must feel this towards me or whatever shame that we're carrying, we kind of put on him and what he's thinking and, and feeling about us rather than coming to him for help, coming to him in gratitude, coming to him um, to confide in. And, and I think the thing about sex drive is, number one, first and foremost, our sex drive is rooted in a desire to connect, a desire to connect with someone, with, with God, with others. Deep, deep down, that drive is rooted in a desire to connect. And we can either connect in a healthy way or we can connect in an unhealthy way. But I just see sex drive as kind of like a symptom, a symptom that reminds me that I'm a human being that is made for connection. And I'll tell you what, as a Christian, I believe that sex is for marriage. And so that's where it gets complicated because we have this desire to connect. But connecting doesn't have to be sexual for it to have an impact on our life and for it to even impact our sex drive. For example... When you're in a marriage relationship, there's people who are married that have not had sex, have not been able to have sex because of physical conditions, medical conditions, some even psychological conditions that I won't go into. But all that to say, even in the context of marriage, there are people who are not able to have sex yet feel completely satisfied and connected to their spouse because deep down our sex drive is a symptom of the desire to connect and sometimes emotional and spiritual 
and mental connections with other people can help us manage our sex drive. They kind of work together. So when there's no outlet for the sex part, you've got to make sure you have an outlet for the other components that are at play in your sex drive. So for someone like you, a single guy, right? I think it's important to number one, assess your connection with God. Like we talked about earlier, what does that look like? Is that a rich part of your life? Are you taking advantage of that relationship and really um, drawing from God and, 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 and drawing life from God and, and getting filled by Him? Because that's going to help manage your sex drive. But number two, how are you connecting with other people? And in healthy, non-sexual ways, that's what we're talking about, connecting with people um, in the context of friendships, mm-hmm. in the context of healthy dating, in the context of um, same-sex friendships, having males in your life that you can count on and talk to and get deep with and and really open your heart to, and in the context of connecting with a church community, how are you fulfilling that part of your desire for connection? Because I think that one of the best ways to manage the the sex drive that you have is by mm-hmm. making sure you're getting fulfilled in the other components of it, if that makes sense. Right. And I don't deny that there are other components of it. I don't think I ever really figured out what a sanctified single Christian life with sex drive in the picture was supposed to look like. Yeah. And some people don't even think that exists, right? Right. And I have no idea like, you know, what goes on in someone's head, for instance, you know, when they see someone that is attractive to them, they might feel, for instance, a warm feeling in their chest or a buzz. And it makes me wonder, you know, Can you rely, for instance, on your emotions to tell you if you're experiencing lust in this moment or is it something else? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And there's definitely physical reactions that are going to happen as a part of life when you're interacting with the world. And here's, here's the interesting thing about this subject, Josh. This doesn't just apply to singles because everything you're learning as a single person and controlling your sex drive you still have to apply as a married person in controlling your sex drive because right. all of these things are still going to happen as a married person. There can be a guy walk by and I think, that guy's attractive. And then what I do next is an indicator of where my heart is. And so that applies whether I am single or whether I am married. But it's now, it's it's different because... When you're single, your your focus is to honor yourself and honor God. When you're married, your focus is to honor yourself, God, and your spouse. So it just gets even a little bit more complicated. But all that to say, those things that you're learning as a single are things that do apply to anyone who's married and learning how to take those natural reactions and and honor God and honor yourself and honor the person that, you know, is walking by through them. I do think there is a place for behavior modification. Right. I'm not, denying that. I'm not completely denying that. Like for instance, if there's a source, like you have porn in your life, remove it. If you have uh, certain things that you're doing that are causing a problem, like stop watching that TV show, then that's an appropriate thing. But 
I think what I had with that is after behavior modifications were made, I was not really able to figure out what to do once you've exhausted that. Right. And that makes sense because there's some natural reactions, some natural feelings, some natural physical reactions that are going to happen. And I think Mm. it's important to understand that. But yeah, I I do wanted to clarify the behavior modification thing because I do think for people listening, it's important to, to put those barriers in place in your life to protect your heart while you're working on getting your heart to the right place. And, and some people really need those practical suggestions. But again, like we talked about in the beginning, it's a symptom. And just putting those practical things in place without getting to the, the underlying cause, the underlying need to connect, without, without at all trying to make changes in who you're connecting with and how you're connecting and, and fulfilling those deep-seated needs in a healthy way, if you're mm-hmm. just doing behavior modification and not fulfilling those deep-seated needs, and it's, it's, it's going to get frustrating, right? It, it definitely yeah. will get frustrating. Yeah, um, it will frustrating. I think the key also is learning to recognize the difference between natural, healthy, normal sexual reactions and then taking them the next step. And that's the key. Uh-huh. One thing that I um, learned um, through through counseling and, you know, something I, I worked with with a lot of clients who struggled with this specific topic is learning that that first thought, that first thing you notice, that first reaction is a healthy, normal, natural response. You notice someone, you get that feeling inside of you. Mm. It's like, it's like if you think of it like a bird flying around the nest, like you notice something, there it is, there's that bird. But the second the bird lands in the nest and you allow it to stay there, that's mm. when you're m- moving into unhealthy, an unhealthy area, an unhealthy approach, an unhealthy thought life. But then learning to, okay, I see the bird, it's landing, but I'm going to shoo it away. Like I'm going to not allow myself to stay here. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to move my thoughts to something different. Learning thought stopping, we call it in counseling. It sounds very basic, but that's exactly what it is. And this applies to our sex drive, but it also applies to other things like anxiety, unhealthy thoughts, whatever it is. The idea that you recognize that thing, you acknowledge it, but then it's up to you if you're going to sit with it or if you're mm-hmm. going to shoot it away and move on to the next thing. And that's the training that comes into play as far as behavior modification, the things that we can actually do to take that next step in the right direction rather than take the next step in the wrong direction. Right. So I think uh, if we were to summarize this as a question, you know, how do you tell the difference between the sex drive just simply acting up versus lust? Your answer is, I to summarize that, if I understand correctly, yep. if you let those thoughts linger. Absolutely. If you let those thoughts linger and, and some, someone's like, give me some practicals here. So, so literally, if for people who actually need those like set fast rules, I say count to three. Like if you are still there after three, you are taking a step in the wrong direction. Mm. And I apply that to myself. My husband applies this to himself as well, because this stuff is important, whether you're single or married, you're going to be scrolling through Facebook and you're going to see a picture that turns you on. And now it's a matter of, okay, what do you do with that? You know, you have that decision. Do I move this in the right direction. My sex drive is obviously there. It's active. It's alive and well. 
Mm-hmm. I have these normal natural feelings. Do I take a step towards that or do I take a step in the right direction, fleeing from that, shooing that away, distracting myself, moving on to the next thing? Was it a sin that I noticed it? Absolutely not. Anybody would have noticed it. But the question is then, what do I do with that? Right. And that's where it's really important. That's where the training comes in of learning whether you're going to feed that sex drive or whether you're going to starve it out. And, and what I mean by starving it is you're shrinking it. The more you feed it, the bigger it's going to get. It's like, have you ever watched those cartoons where you've got like an angel and a demon on your shoulder? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. sex drive is very similar. You either feed it by continuing to take those steps in an unhealthy direction Right. Or, and, and, it, and it continues to grow and become more powerful and more hungry. Or you slowly start to starve it by taking steps in the right direction, by distracting yourself, by making a different choice, by connecting with healthy people, by saying, you know what, I'm not going to sit here alone at this time of day and have nothing to do but like face temptation. I'm going to call a friend and go mm-hmm. out for dinner. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go go pick up a book. I'm going to go make a phone call. I'm going to go for a walk. Like whatever it takes for you to take a step in the right direction. And the more you do that, the more that you're starving out that sex drive and, and subduing it, subduing it, you know, in, in a healthy way. And one thing I love about scripture, there's a passage where um, we're encouraged in Ephesians to stop doing the wrong things. So, so he, he says, he who is stealing must steal no more, but instead must do something fruitful with his hands. So to mm-hmm. me, I love that passage. And there's a list of different things that Paul is like encouraging the believers of Ephesus to work on. But he doesn't just say, stop doing that bad thing. He says, instead, do this. Stop yes. having um, harmful talk. Instead, speak truth and encouragement to one another, for example. A- and I love that because sometimes we focus so much on stopping the behavior, but right. we don't focus enough on replacing it with something healthy. And in right. counseling, that is the number one way we help people change. You have a drinking problem. I'm not going to just say, okay, well, stop drinking. Well, you need to replace that with something because just having a void is not going to help you heal. So so you're stopping these sexual behaviors. You're, you're quitting pornography. You're going to stop compulsively masturbating. You're going right. to stop watching those unhealthy shows on Netflix. You're going to stop scrolling through Instagram at 2 a.m. and 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 seeing what you can find it, that's that's sexual and turning you on. Well, instead of just stopping that, that's the first step. Now, you've got to replace it with something good. You've got to replace it with something beneficial. Because if that's just a void in your life, it's going to be frustrating and it's going to get refilled with junk, but maybe junk in different forms. So I love that passage. And I think it kind of goes with this idea of starving out the one side, but fueling the other side, starving out the flesh, fueling the spirit, you know, if you want to put it that way. Well, thank you, Josh. I really appreciate the conversation and it was so good to have you and, and to be able to connect on this topic. Thank you so much for being vulnerable. Well, thank you, Deborah. It was a great topic. I appreciate it. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. So before we wrap up our episode today, I want to give you some practical ways to starve out the flesh and feed the spirit 
on the episode, we were talking about the concept of behavior modification. And I think there's a lot of practical things we can do on the outside while we're working to heal what's going on on the inside. Let me just give you a couple practical things. Number one, stop feeding your sexual drive with junk. The entertainment industry, pornography, masturbation, There's so many different kinds of sexual stimulation out there that's going to feed your flesh with the wrong things, feed your appetite with the wrong things. I mean, we live in such a sexualized culture. If you just turn on the TV, shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, even the Super Bowl, watching the commercials are crazy these days with how sexualized everything is. Movies, entertainment, Netflix. If you find yourself faced with sexualized things, turn it off because that's just going to feed your flesh instead of starve it out. So be really diligent about this. One way that my husband and I take an active stance with this is doing our research before we watch something or tune into a show or a movie Uh, There's a website called kidsinmind.com, and ironically, we don't use it for our children as much as we use it for ourselves because it gives a list of objective numbers on a scale of 1 to 10, how much violence is in something, how much language is in something, and how much sexuality is in something. So it's really important to do your research before you entertain yourself because so many times by not doing your research, you end up putting yourselves in situations where you're feeding your sex drive in an unhealthy way. Pornography, masturbation, sexual stimulation, those are other things that people tend to struggle with on a regular basis. And I think it's really important to put barriers in place to keep you accountable until your heart is strong enough to stand alone against these things. One thing that has helped a lot of people out there is called Covenant Eyes. Uh, Covenant Eyes is a program that you download. And basically, this program monitors the websites that you're on and sends them to a friend. So when it comes to having accountability, I think it's a really important step because when you're cruising the net and you know someone else is going to be getting a list of your website history It really helps to motivate you when you're feeling weak uh, to take steps in the right direction instead of in the wrong direction. So Covenant Eyes is a great program to check out. Once you take that stuff out of your life, like we said, feed your need for connection by connecting in healthy ways. You know, if sexual desires are a symptom of our need to connect it would make sense that they grow the more you're in isolation, you know? How true is it that the times that you feel most susceptible to sexual sin are probably the times when you're alone or bored, right? So make sure you're filling your time with healthy things that you don't have pockets and pockets and pockets of boredom and isolation in your life. Take that need to connect and channel it into positive things. Join a small group. Be proactive with connecting with friends. Get things in your calendar so you have things to look forward to, places you're going to be, things you're going to do, activities that you enjoy, hobbies, interests, sports, classes. Fill your time with healthy things and healthy ways to connect with people. We also talked about the importance of connecting with God. And this isn't just a cliche, you know. I, I think this is a really important part of life. A good sign of who you're connecting to 
is what you're preoccupied with. You know, what what is preoccupying your thought life throughout the day? Are you thinking lustful thoughts throughout the day? Are your eyes wandering? Are you absorbed in sexual thinking and fantasizing? Or are you asking God to give you his perspective on your day? Are you praying for the people that you meet along the way? Are you seeking ways to serve others and to serve God throughout the day? Are you filling your mind with God's life-giving truth and thinking about whatever is good and pure. That's what God calls us to do. And and you can really tell a lot about where your heart is based on the type of thoughts you're absorbed in throughout the day. So like I mentioned, thought stopping earlier, it's really important to stop those negative thoughts and instead shift your thinking to meaningful ways, shift your thinking to try to think in the way that God wants you to think throughout the day and see the world through his eyes. Number four, give your energy to meaningful things. Um, You know, I think it's really important here that you keep yourself busy. You know, like I just said, idleness is one of the biggest mistakes you can make when it comes to sexual temptation and sexual struggle and sexual drive. And I get that it's not realistic that you're constantly around people every second of every day, but take inventory of your free time and maybe invest it into something meaningful. Maybe set some goals for yourself, some things you want to achieve and start working on those goals. Maybe start writing a book or a blog or even a podcast or maybe join a ministry or a service opportunity or start a business. Whatever it is that you have as the big picture of your goal, use your free time to move yourself in that direction because that idleness, that that too much time to kill ends up killing you in the end with harmful things. And lastly, practically speaking, surround yourself with good people for the purpose of accountability. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When we bring things into the light, they lose their power over us. I mentioned earlier that I was meeting with a mentor to kind of walk me through and talk me through the sexual struggles in my past. And I think it's important for each and every one of you to find somebody that you can be real with, a mentor, someone who can disciple you. If you don't have anyone like that in your life and you're thinking, I don't know anyone like that, I don't even have the potential of finding someone like that, get yourself a counselor. Find a professional counselor to help you walk through the journey of healing, especially if you feel like you're struggling with compulsive masturbation or an unhealthy addiction to pornography and your sex drive is taking control of you and you can't take control of it, it's time to get yourself plugged into professional counseling and find someone who can help you on this journey. We're going to talk a lot more about those type of struggles in future podcasts, but I hope that gives you some places to start and ways to navigate this. And here's the thing, your sexual drive and your sexual desires are not going to just disappear. Like there's nothing you can do to make them disappear. And thankfully not because you're going to need them one day, but they will be disciplined and controlled under the reign of God's spirit, which is exactly where they need to be in preparation for your future and in preparation for a future marriage. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today, guys. I hope this episode encouraged you and gave you some practical steps to take when it comes to dealing with sex drive while you're single. This is the first of many, many conversations we're going to have about the topic of sex on this podcast. So make sure to subscribe and be on the lookout. 
and send me all your sex questions by going to truelovedates.com slash love and relationships, or better yet, send me your question in a voice memo form to deborah at truelovedates.com, and we're likely going to answer it on the show. If you're looking to go deeper with the content in today's episode, I'm going to link to one of my favorite audio lessons called Sex and the Single Life, and I invite you to check it out in the show notes section of today's episode. It's going to take you deeper and just give you a lot more content than was covered today on this episode. You can also find in-depth courses and all kinds of free relationship articles over at my blog, truelovedates.com. If you're out there right now and you're looking for some inspiration and encouragement for your love life, whether you're single or dating or married, pick up a copy of True Love Dates or Choosing Marriage and get serious about downloading information that's going to help you get healthy and move you in the direction of healthy relationships. Those are my two books out so far, and I just encourage you to check them out. Truth is, I love connecting with you on social media. So find me on Facebook or Instagram at True Love Dates and give me a shout out. Tell me what you think of the podcast. I love hearing from you. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to see it go strong, subscribe and leave your five-star rating and review because it makes all the difference in getting the word out. I'm Deborah Faleda, and it was so great being together again today. And I can't wait to chat with you more next week. Take care. Take care.